Good morning, everybody. Welcome once again to our Sunday morning time together here at the Digital Cathedral. If this is your first Sunday with us, we want to give you a special welcome. Glad you're with us. Make sure you hit the subscribe button and the like button. It helps our logarithms to get in front of more people uh, with the message of grace and inclusion and the unconditional love of God. So it is good that you're all here. We're gathered in this morning to... Uh, kind of learn some things that maybe the Father's going to be speaking to us explicitly in 2023. I started this a couple of weeks ago and it just came out of a, a burden that I had that, that I felt like the Father was impressing me that there were some things that we have heard, uh, might be a little bit familiar with, but in 2023 the Father is going to take these and He's going to bring them down another level in our understanding and revelation. So in two weeks I got through five. I've got a number of these. This morning I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to try to get through five more to give you the top ten things that I believe is going to be reiterated uh, deeply within us so that it becomes more than just a teaching. It becomes a way of life. And if I were to put a title on the message this morning, on the teaching this morning, I would probably say it's moving from, from teaching to living. We're, li we're learning how to live this message out. I mean, after all, let's be honest, if we can't put boots on the ground to the things that we learn here at the Digital Cathedral, then really of what value is it? I can get you ready to go to heaven. That's what church does, but that's not my call. My call is to get you ready to manifest yourself as a son, as a daughter of the Father here on the planet. And that's what we're working toward. We're, we're learning, we're, we're having re revelation come to us, and I believe we're on the right trail to reach the measure, the stature of the fullness of Christ, which is Don Keithley's bullseye for those that are at the secret place and at the digital cathedral. All right, I want to start over with a parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 20, and God willing, we're going to get through five of these this morning, and then I'll, I'll sum them all up for you at the very end. So make sure you stay with me, because some of these, some of these are going to resonate with you, like, man, this is already working in me. Like, I, I recognize what you're saying. And I wanted to bring these 10 to the surface, because uh, when the Father begins to take you down deeper, and I don't know what channel he's going to use to do that or what road he's going to, to take you down. But I want you to be able to recognize and say, aha, there it is right there. I see what he's trying to accomplish in, in my life. So in this 20th chapter of Matthew, and I'm not going to read the whole parable. I'm going to explain it to you real quick. But in Matthew chapter 20, the first 16 verses, Jesus tells a parable and he starts it out like this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So right off, I, I see that he's telling us something to tell us, teach us how the kingdom of heaven operates here on earth. Now he puts himself, I think he puts the father in the position of the landowner, and then he goes out to hire laborers, which I think there's some, there's some truth here for you and I that are going to reflect in what I want to say to you this morning. So let me tell you exactly what happened. <clears throat> this landowner has a vineyard and the crops ready to harvest. So evidently he does not have enough workers on hand that work for him on a regular basis to successfully bring this harvest in. So he goes into town early in the morning and he hires a group of men, uh, maybe some women in there, I'm not sure, but he hires a group of laborers to come start the harvest. And when they are out in the field working, then he goes back at the third hour and hire some more. 
he goes back the ninth hour and, and hires some additional workers. So then as the day moves on, it gets to the 11th hour and he might have seen that we're not going to get this harvest in today. I, I need some more workers to put us over the edge to get this in. So he goes down at the 11th hour. That means there's only about an hour or so left to work. He goes down the 11th hour and he says, what, what's going on with you guys? How come you're just standing around here? And they said, well, nobody's hired us to work today. He said, okay, come with me. I'm going to put you to work. So he's agreed to a price for the day with the group that he started with early in the morning. And let's say it's $100. He's going to pay them $100 for working all day in the vineyard. They came to an agreement on that. This parable is a wonderful illustration of how the currency of the kingdom is grace. And the more grace, more currency you spend, the more kingdom you receive. This is a, this is a, this is a great parable that illustrates why religion detests hyper, uh, radical, pure grace so much. First of all, it's very unfair. There's, grace is not fair. I see that in, in verse 14. Let me do, I'm just going to cherry pick a couple of these verses. He says, take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to you this last man the same as to you. So he's saying, I'm going to pay this last guy the same as I paid you guys that started first today, which they look at and say, that's not right. That's not fair. It's totally unjust. In the, in the next verse, it says, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I'm good? So he's saying, the landowner is saying, look, I can, I can, I can give grace to whoever I want to give grace to. See, the church doesn't like that. Religion doesn't like that because the religion relates to the guy who's been out in the field working all day, sweating, working hard, out witnessing. He goes to the Bible study, sees to the church every time the doors are open. He makes sure that he, he tithes his income, gives offerings whenever it's needed. He does all of that. And then the, the, the landowner <laughs> gives the same reward to the guy that comes in the 11th hour as the guy that worked all day. So. Grace shows no favoritisms. It's not just in man's eyes. It's not even fair. And it pays no more. This is, this is amazing. It pays no more for the guy that worked all day, worked hard, sweated, was to every evangelism meeting, went out street witnessing, did everything that he needed to do, but doesn't really trust the one in charge to value their dedication. And so they complain, they gripe about it. It's what I, what you see in church today. Are you telling me that you can, that you're saved by grace? You don't have to pray the prayer. You don't have to be water baptized. That Jesus has imparted when he said it is finished. He has imparted to all of us eternal life. That's not what I said. That's what John said twice that he's the savior of the world. Jesus said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. So he's not just seeking people. He's saving people. The only question that I had to wrestle with was this. Was he successful? Was he successful in doing what he claimed he came to do? And if he did, then I have to say that even though I've worked in the field all day, I've been in, you know, I can say, look, I've been in ministry all my adult life. Over 50 years, I've, I've toiled in the field. And you're going to tell me this guy that just comes in by grace hasn't done near what I've done, that he, he receives the same inheritance? That's exactly what the landowner's doing here. Grace 
reveals, listen, grace reveals what's always been in our heart. If you're jealous, you're envious, you get uptight about somebody not having to jump through the loops, hoops that you jumped through, it's, it, but you've pushed that down with trying to be good and trying to keep the law. You've pushed that, but it's always been in your heart. Grace is going to expose it because it's not fair. It's not just. It pays the same wage to everybody. So the, what the landowner was really doing was he was trying the hearts of the workers, trying our hearts. It's exactly what, he, what happens in verse 8. And I want you to see how contrary to logic and reason verse 8 is. It says, so when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, the, the shop foreman, he said, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. Now, if you wanted to kind of cover up what you were doing, you would have called the workers that started first because you've already agreed to them $100 a day. Here's your $100 bill. Here's what, who's on a hundred? Hamilton. Here's your Hamilton. Ben Franklin. It might be Ben Franklin. I think it's Ben Franklin. Here's your Ben Franklin. So often I don't see a $100 bill. I don't know. I think it's Ben Franklin. Here's your Ben Franklin. Thank you for your work. Go. And so gets them out of the way. Then he brings in the later workers. That's not what this, that's not what the landowner does. He's demonstrating. He's testing the heart of the one that's been working all day. He's testing the heart of the guy that says, look, I've been in this all my life. I've, I've given up everything. I, I, you know, if I hadn't been doing this, I might've liked to have been a lawyer been a, a courtroom lawyer, maybe an ambulance chaser, I don't know. But I've, I've decided way back when, when I was just a kid, this is what I was going to do. And I've given my life to it. So are you telling me that my reward, my pay is no better than this drunk out there that just gets in because of grace? So he, he's testing the heart of the guy that's worked all day long. That's exactly it. So he calls the last workers in first and gives them gives them the same Ben Franklin that he's going to give the guy that's worked all day long. So he's testing the hearts. Now the thing we're talking about today is going to test our heart. How we're going to view people that maybe we think are not deserving. All right? So in that verse 8, he's over there, he's testing their heart. It would have been logical to pay the first workers to get them out of there so they wouldn't see the grace that you had given to the last workers. But that's not the way grace works. Grace is expressed equally to everybody. So everybody's going to get the Ben Franklin, right? Grace doesn't hide, but it takes delight in revealing itself to those that think they deserve extra. The Father just delights in, in showing grace to those that think, man, I, I really ought to get the top level pay on this. He, he delights in that. Sure enough, look what came up in verse 12. Verse 12, saying, these last men who worked only one hour and you made them equal to us? Are you kidding me? Who have equaled us, who have borne the burden of the heat of the day? We've gone through everything. We've, we've worked our fingers to the bone today. Are you saying these last men have, that have worked one hour and you made them equal to us? And the landlord saying, what, what business is that of yours? What business? When you look at it, why should religion be upset if the Father pours out an abundance of grace on everybody equally, even though a natural, a natural realm might not look just, might not look fair, it might sh show 
No favoritism. That's hard for us to swallow. The point of the parable, point of the parable is the development of the guy that had been out there working all day long. That's what the parable is about. So number six, here's, here's number one today. Number one today. Here's what I think the Father is really going to develop in us this year. And it's a love and a tolerance for other people that we look upon naturally, maybe from still some religious mindset, and say, that guy doesn't, that guy, I don't think he deserves that. See, we all cut our, our religious teeth on them and us. us. Us was the guys working on the field all day. Them is the guy that came in at the last hour. Us were the ones that prayed the magic prayer. We were water baptized. We got the box of tithe envelopes in the mail every year. We're, us, us are the people that jumped through every hoop, did everything that we were ever asked, sacrificed. Them were all those that didn't do what we did to be part of us. See, we, we were not to, 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 we were not to get as us too involved in them in the world. See, essence, let me say it this way. Essence, we're not to get too involved with themins in the world because we thought those guys out in the world, that stuff's going to jump on us. You ever heard that? Don't get around those people out in the world because the devil's going to jump on you. Now, that's kind of a mystery to me right there. See, a love and a tolerance for other people. We were, we were hammered in church. We were supposed to win them to Jesus. We were supposed to bring them in to the, to the fold, right? And yet, on the other hand, we were told, be separate, be holy, be separate from them. So how, how Jesus spent more time with sinners than he did church folk. So the question, and I never could resolve this in my mind, even as a pastor, how, are, how am I supposed to instruct people to win the world and then turn right around the next Sunday and instruct them, don't, don't go where they're at? Because... What they, they might pull you back into the world, see? There's going to be a rekindling this year. You watch and see if I'm not telling you the truth. In your life, there's going to be a rekindling of the sayings of Jesus, who, as I say, spent more time with the outsiders than the insiders. He spent more time with the thems than the us. It's impossible. It's impossible. Once you understand grace, it's impossible for the love of God to well up inside of us where this, where this love of God gins and spins and resonates without loving the thems in the way that the Father loves them. John 3.16 expresses his love for thems. For God so loved the world. Not that God so loved the people prayed the magic prayer. Not that God just loves the church. God so loved the world. The word there is cosmos. That's the entirety of creation. And the next verse says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but so that the world, now this is, this is a word I really, I got a bone to pick with translators here. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world so that the world, the, the King James and New King James says that he might win the world. He didn't send his son to the world to condemn it, but so that he might, he might. Possibility, chance. That word might should have never been there. It's a very bad translation. Some of, some of the translations picked it up. A, a better use of that word would be should. 
Like it's a done deal. He's, that's what he should be doing. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world through him should be saved. Not, not might. See, that might leaves a question, and people have, have questioned me on that over the years since I've come into this understanding of grace. And it, at first it bothered me because it really does look like it's open to discussion, but it really isn't open to discussion, that he should win the world. That fits in with what he said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. So his love is unfailing. His love is for everybody. His love is given to everybody in equal proportion. His grace, he, what, how does he say? He says, the father reigns on the just and the unjust. The father shines sun on the just and the unjust. So what you're going to find this year, let me just repeat that one. Let me, what you're going to find this year is, is a growing love and tolerance of other people that maybe in your, your religious days you looked at and said they're totally unworthy. I, there's no way I could I could call them an equal to me, and yet Father's grace makes them equal, right? The number two kind of fits in with number one, but it's a little bit different. Num number two is this: you're going to find this year in 2023 that that your desire to judge people is going to lessen. In fact, all judgment may cease. This is, this, is, this is huge. This is a big one. Because basically, judging other people comes from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, doesn't it? I mean, we look at someone say they're good. We look at someone else say they're bad. This one's evil. This one's right. It, it, it's, I think what, what the term is, is binary dualism. It has to be black or white. It has to be one or the other. And the only way that we, we get into that is through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I've, I've been teaching you about immortality. And immortality comes as we wean off this tree of the knowledge of good and evil through which death came. And we exclude that tree. We're no longer eating there. And we're over here eating the tree from the tree of life. The tree of life contains no judgment. When you judge people, you're making a determination of what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is e evil. And what the amazing thing is, is usually we think God is on the side that we want to judge either as good or evil. And we use, we use this like a hammer to prove our point. I mean, here it says right there, black and white. Right there it is. See, we use that. We're not, we're not doing grace unconditionally. We're not doing pure radical grace. We're not loving unconditionally. We're using a system of the world to judge. And we're saying, right there it is, right there it is. Here, there was, just pops into my mind. There's an instance, I think it's over in Mark. Let's just see. I think it's Mark chapter 9, verse 38 and 40, somewhere right there. Let me see if I can find it. There's an instance that Jesus dealt with this with the disciples. Mark chapter, let me get over here to 9. Here we go. John said, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name. They're not part of our group. They're not in our church. What makes them think they can do that? How dare they do that? We're the, we're the ones that are supposed to. That, that's where our job is. He said, we, we saw some guys and they weren't part of us. And so we went over and we judged them. We forbade them. Said, don't you guys be doing that because you don't follow our Jesus. You're not following like we follow. And Jesus said, don't forbid him. For no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterward speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. Boy, if we could just get that down. 
Presbyterians aren't with me, against me. Charismatics aren't against me. We got, we got the same target. If we could ever get that fixed in our minds. See, love covers a multitude of sins. So what may be back in your religious day, you would have judged as evil or wrong. And all of a sudden, that's above your pay grade. These guys thought they were absolutely just in, in judging those that were doing something in Jesus' name, but weren't part of their group. Now, here's, here's what you're going to find as this thing works out of you. As this judgment stuff flushes out of you. As, you, as it ceases, it stops. You're not eating from that tree that has enabled you and empowered you and justified you to judge people, judge situations. Here's what you're going to find. You're going to find that no longer is that judgment a spiritual drain, which it is. When you judge folks, I'm telling you what, it is an emotional, it is an emotional drain. You ever notice that on Facebook? People that are like trolls, and then you, you go in there and you start typing faster than the troll types to get your comments down. Man, after, after a while, you're just exhausted. Judgment will wear you out. And here's, here's the side effect of that. It has an effect on your ability to see in the spirit. It has an effect on your knowing by spirit. Because judgment is not spirit. Judgment arises out of, out of mind, out of will, out of emotions. That's where judgment comes from. So when you, when you get uh, frayed emotionally, you're, you get exhausted, and you can't, you're not nearly as sharp spiritually. The more you wean off of these things, the more that you're able to love people like Jesus loved them, number six, that your love and tolerance for people grows. And the more that you see this, this one here, the second one, or number seven, however you're, you're keeping score, the more you're going to find that you have spiritual energy because you've only got so much energy to spend. So you want to make sure that you're investing it and spending it in the right place. Ceasing judgment yields yields positive results. Now here's also what it does. This is one thing I, I really like and I'm finding is I, I'm walking these out with you. The reason I'm bringing you these 10 is because this is what's working in me. You know, you know how I am. God gets on me, then I come over and get on you. When he shows me, I show you. Now here's what it also does. It also takes the pressure off of me when I'm no longer judging. When my tolerance is increasing, it takes the pressure off me to be the deputy sheriff in the kingdom of God. I don't have to judge it anymore. Isn't that the example that Jesus gave us? <clears throat> Jesus said this in John chapter 5. And boy, religion doesn't like this one. Religion doesn't, doesn't go for this at all. I'm going to read you two verses. That's going to totally enable you to see we've got to let this go. John chapter 5 verse 22. Jesus said this. This is printed in red. See, it's in my Bible right over here. It's in red. I want you to make, I'm not pulling your leg. Jesus said, for the Father judges no one. Boy, doesn't that just throw a monkey wrench in your old theology? Father judges no one. There it is. It's been there the whole time. But has committed all judgment to the Son. So the Son can judge in a way that he wants to. So how Jesus judges should be the way that we judge. Are you with me? Father judges nobody, Jesus said. He's given all judgment to the Son. So let's just cop, cop over here to a couple of verses. Uh, to John chapter 8, let me read verse 15. 
Jesus said, again, it's red. Take my word for it. He said, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. So what, 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 what he's working in us today, the second one this morning, that judgment ceases. We're going we're gonna to stop judging people. We're going to feel not feel the need to judge anymore. And the reason is because the Father doesn't judge and you're, being, you're in His image and you're developing His likeness. And Jesus clearly said the Father doesn't judge anybody but has put all judgment, has, has turned it over to the Son who in, who in turn gives it to the sons in the same fashion. And so he said, you judge according to the flesh, which is the way we judge things, treat the knowledge of good and evil. But now he says, I judge no one. So you know what? You and I don't have to fear this judgment thing. And we should, we should live in a way that nobody else has to fear this judgment thing. John said it powerfully. I, John put it so well in 1 John chapter 4. Come over there with me. 1 John chapter 4 and uh, I got a kick this week. Somebody has never watched one thing I've ever taught, but some, one, somebody posted uh, something that I said, and the person said, well, obviously, he, he doesn't ever use Scripture. Well, what I wanted to say is, did you ever watch one video? Because I, I use a lot of Scripture. I, I love my Bible. It's not in it's not in Aaron, it's not infallible, but it sure does inspire inspiration. It gives revelation insight into a lot of things, like this here. John said it so powerfully. John first John 4 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Now watch, there's two things here. I just noticed it this week. Two words important. He says, We have known and believed the love of God. Now, we, we might have known a little bit about it before, but I don't think we ever gave him um, the unconditional love that he deserved toward mankind. We never, we never saw it through that, that lens. But notice he says, we've known and believed. You can know it without believing it. When you believe it, you embrace it. When you believe it, believing is an effortless response to revelation. When you know it, you should know it by revelation. And when you know it by revelation, you'll believe it. See, when, when the Father reveals it, you got it. And then you can't ungot it. <laughs> you, when you see it, you can't unsee it. So we have known and believed the love that the Father has for us. God is love. So we've got the love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. So we demonstrate that love to other people. The, the, these two verses, John, I'm going to read verse 17 in just a minute because it's my life's verse. This Want to know the verse you're going to put on my tombstone? Tombstone is going to be verse 17, but let me say something about verse 16 first. Both of these verses are talking about where we're living right now today. Both these verses are talking about things that I feel God is working into our life today. So unless he works as us, with love, then nothing ever is accomplished. The flesh profits nothing. Verse 16 spells out where we have come to experientially in our experience. Love is, love is this trust bond. Can you get this? Love is that trust bond that ensures what he is about to say through us. It's that love connection. He's laying a foundation. There's no, there's no kingdom foundation outside of love. As we demonstrate kingdom, it's got to come by love. And if we're going to love, then the judging has got to cease. 
the tolerance for others, that level has got to rise. The grace that we're willing to expend, even to those that come in the last hour, we don't think deserve it, right? His love is extended unconditionally and unfailing to us. And in turn, then we extend it unconditionally and unfailing to other people. I know that you have noticed in your life already that the more you know that he loves you, the easier it is to love other people. The more that you understand he has accepted you, it's easier to accept other people. So these points that we're talking about, this is the third week in talking about these, these points are, are coming deep within us so that we can express them, not because we're trying or we're trying to work our way into it. It becomes now a natural flow out of us, exactly like it flowed out of Jesus. Love brings us into that union where what he does through us is counted as us and fully accredited to our account. I think that's what I'm trying to say. That when we learn to love as he loves, as, as that revelation comes, as we experientially have it, we grab it, we begin to express it. We begin to understand that everything he does, he does as us and it's credited to our account. Isn't that what happened with Abraham? Abraham believed God. Believing is an effortless response to revelation. When God showed him the plan, he believed it. He, got, he responded to it. And God accounted it, what he was going to do, he accounted it as righteousness to Abraham. Now look at verse 17. Let me read verse 16 and 17 together. And we have known and believed the love that the Father has for us. That's a powerful love, agape. God is love, and he who abides in him abides in God, and God in him. That's union. So this love is the union connection. This love is what holds this all together. Love has been perfected or matured among us, that we may have boldness in it. Number one, have boldness in the day of judgment. Number two, because as he is, so are we in this present world. Two things that come out of that verse, and I already highlighted a little bit. Love is being demonstrated in us. Full expression, maturity. It's, it's evolving from us. We're able to now uh, live it on one level, and we haven't scratched the level on how we can really love like the Father loves. So again, this, this keeps coming down in order. It keeps coming down in stronger. And the thing that he said is so that we, we will have boldness in the day of judgment. When is that day of judgment? It's not when you stand before God like we were taught in church and he's going to get this big book out. Maybe run a video camera on a screen of everything that you've ever done in front of people. Embarrassing as it would be. The day of judgment was the day at the cross when all sin was judged. And we have confidence in that. Herein, or this is how our love is made perfect, that we have boldness about the day of judgment. That day of judgment, that day that we have confidence that sin was judged, that there's no sin within us. There's not, no, no more sin conscious, and we're now righteous conscious. We're love conscious. We're father conscious. We're Jesus conscious. See, the sin consciousness has gone because I look, and I have total confidence. And that makes, when I have confidence in that day of judgment at the cross when sin was judged, you know what that does? That makes me bold. Because I know there's nothing now that is holding me back. It was a total finished work. And there's, there's nothing to fear. Uh, nothing has slipped through the cracks. It's not all of a sudden uh, going to appear out of, out of nowhere that God's going to have you stand. And because of that, 
Man, now we can begin to live as he is in this present world. Didn't say as he was, as he is right now. How? Let me just go back here. I think I left uh, uh, something out that I wanted to say. All right, here, here's where it comes. So how is he today? How is he today? Notice again, it's as he is, not as he was. Post-cross, he's fully what was prophesied pre-cross. How is he today? Because however he is, man, back in the 90s, I did a whole year on this one verse. I, I had no understanding like I have today, but I just took 52 weeks. I said, here's how Jesus is. That means that's how we are. And at that time, that was pretty, that was, that was pretty out there cutting edge teaching. But now I know how he is. He defeated death. Today, he is the victor over death, over the flesh, over the devil. Whatever you think the devil is, whatever you think devil is, evil is. He's at rest in the finished work of the cross. He's, he's no longer trying to get to victory. He's already living and demonstrating from victory to us. So this is the way that we need to be. We need to understand that we have become victorious over death. Hope you're with me when I did that immort little immortality series for six weeks. Jesus defeated death. As he is, so are we in this world. We defeated it with him. The flesh, the devil, whatever you, again, whatever you think the devil is. If you still think he's a little guy running around in a red suit and a pitchfork, with big ears and a tail, that's fine, whatever. If you think it's a, a, an all mental, that's fine. Whatever you think it is, it's been defeated. It doesn't matter. It's out of the way. And you can rest in the finished work of the cross. And you, as Jesus, can live from victory. This is what makes this is what makes what we're doing today different from church. One of the things. In church, and I taught, I did this for years. I would teach people how to get to victory. I do a series on four practical steps to, to victory in this life. Three steps to a good prayer life. Three, spe three steps to breaking through um, in prayer. How, how giving in six ways will open the windows of heaven for you. We were always trying to get there. Now, what we're teaching today, we're not trying to get there. We're teaching from that victory to where we're at today. We're teaching from that place. Of it. We're walking from victory. We're not trying to get to victory. Does that make sense? Somebody should have said amen right there. Somebody should have jumped around their living room with a happy dance. Because you don't have to try to get to victory. You can actually live from victory. Are, 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 are you with me? And so what helps us get into that place of living from victory are the very things we're teaching. And some of you are sitting there today say. Don Keithley, I've heard that. I know this stuff. No, he's taking it down. I want you to be open. I want you to hear it this year. All right, number three, and I got to hurry along. Number three, this year you're going to find that he works as us. You're not working independently from him anymore. You're not trying to earn favor from him anymore. And that all of that is going to dissipate. All of it's going to evaporate out of your life. All that, that striving. That wondering, some of you still wondering, Emma, what I'm doing is it pleasing to God? One of the things about Jesus, he learned that it was not him that was doing the work, it was the Father. A couple of scriptures real quick. And I can't, I, I'd like to hop, stay on these scriptures, but I can't. Because these, these, these are eye-opening. When you're talking about Jesus, the God made flesh, man fully, fully God, fully man, he said this. 
in John chapter 5, verse 19. Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Now, when you say that about yourself, it sounds rather def deflating. I can't do anything. Who am I? I can't do anything. But, see, this, this, it depends on which side of the butt you live on, right? Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the fathers do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son, shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater things to do. Amen? All right, so Jesus flat out said, I don't do it, my father does it. Now that's where you and I need to come to. We need to see that everything we're doing, it's the Father doing it as us. You're not living for him anymore. He's not living through you. He's living as you. You're, a, you're a reflecting. Your perfect reflection is Jesus was of the Father. At this place in your development, wherever you're at is good. It's fine. That's wherever you're at on the journey. He said, I see you holy and without blame. All right? No, it's him doing it, not you. And the, this year, that's going to grow on us. We're going to recognize that. We're going to fully realize. John 14, 10. Don't, do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? See, that's union. This is, this is the secret. And as, this, as you see him working as you, it's going to be an offshoot of the union that you see with him that's going to grow stronger and develop within you. Till you can't separate. There's no separation. You're not going to know what you're doing where that ends and where what he's doing starts or what he's doing ends and what you're doing starts. It's going to be so merged together. It's merging this year. Believe me. I'm in the Father and the Father in me. The words that I speak to you, I don't speak my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me, the Father who dwells in me, the Father, the Father who dwells in me, he doeth the works. See, I used to, this is just a crazy little illustration, but Back in the day, before I'd ever go to the pulpit on Sunday mornings, I'd say, Father, be with me. Father, be with me. Now, over here at the Digital Cathedral, I'm sitting here saying, sometimes I can't believe what's coming out of my mouth, and it's Him speaking as me. And you're, you're going to fully realize this. And as it operates, this is the powerful part, as it, as it grows, you're going to realize that what's going on is His ability, not yours. There are going to be times that you're teaching in that home group or talking to a friend that has a problem, and you're going, to, you're going to amaze yourself. You're going to stand back and go, whoa, that pearl of wisdom that just came out of me, that wasn't me. That didn't come from mine, from my idea. Uh, and when you pray, pray, pray a prayer or something, you say, well, that wasn't me praying that prayer, that was him. You, you sense the union. You sense that 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 vine branch connection is finally where it's just one smooth flow. You can't tell one from the other. You can call it being led by the Spirit. You can call it anointing. I don't care what you call it. Uh, he's increasing, you're decreasing. See, he's increasing, you're decreasing until you're gone. Well, what Paul say? I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, it's the Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. He said in, in, uh, over in Colossians, he, says, he said, I died, man, and my life is hidden with Christ in God. All right, number four. Number four. We no longer doubt our authentic identity. If 
If you have any view of yourself that is not as the Father sees you, this year you're going to see that diminish and go. You're going to see your authentic identity, which is divinity. Your identity was fully established and you were made one with Christ at his crucifixion, his burial. You were buried with him. His resurrection, you rose with him. And in fact, you ascended with him. You are now seated at the right hand of the Father. Right? You're living fully on the earth as he is. 2 Peter chapter 1. This, I, I got to read this. It just popped into my head. It's one, one of the verses we read every once in a while. So, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Here we go. As his divine power has given to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. So it's his power that is working as you. Right? He's given us everything, his, by his divine power, he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness, by which we have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises, through, that through these you might be a partaker of the divine nature. Do you see the oneness there? You're now a partaker in his nature. I'm not saying you're him. I'm not saying he's you. There's, there is a, a union with distinction. Your personality, my personality probably aren't the same. And yet we're in union together. Jesus and you are in union together. The Father and Jesus are in union together. Jesus said, in that day you'll know that I'm in the Father and you're in me and, and Father's in you and I'm in you and you're in me. And he's, this is all, all blended together. This year, this year, because of what we're talking about this morning. Let me say it again. This is all going to move from good teaching. And this is, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching good. It's going to move from good teaching to good living. This is the year that we begin to integrate into our, into our consciousness that will be walked out daily. The things that we're talking about here. This is, this is going to be a great year of maturity. All right, one last thing. One last thing, and then we'll start to park this bus. This year, the sons of God are going to begin to take responsibility for the planet. I'm not talking about green energy. I'm not talking about being a tree hugger. This year, sons are going to begin to understand that they have responsibility for the planet. There's a growing awareness that truly we are stewards of the earth. This has not been emphasized enough because everything in the church has been geared to rapture, second coming, going to heaven. We have not emphasized this. We're starting, the manifested sons of God are starting to realize, wait a minute, we have a mandate. He gave us a mandate back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, 7, and 8. Gave them dominion, gave them power. And then, and then I like how David says it in the Psalms. Listen to this. This will blow you out of the water. This will rock your world. In Psalm chapter 8, in verse 4, out of, uh, out of the Passion Translation, it says this. Verse 6. You have delegated, God, you, God, have delegated to them, man. Master, listen to this. You have delegated to them. We are delegated authority. He delegated to us mastery over all that you've made, making everything subservient to their authority. See, sons are starting to realize this. We have a, I, think, I think the church has been afraid of how powerful we really are. 
tried to keep it, tried to hold us down because we shouldn't think more highly of ourselves than we should. Isn't that what the scripture says? That's what your book says. And yet we have thought too little of ourselves. Made them, made the entire, cre all of creation subservient to their authority. Placing earth itself under the feet of your image bearers. All the created order and every living thing of the earth, sky, and sea. The wildest beast and all the sea creatures, everything is in submission to your sons. <clears throat> I, I don't know how you can say it much plainer than that. See, we've been we've spent way too long asking God to do and to give us what He's already done and what He's already given to us. We're going to see responsibility. All right, listen to me. Look me in the eye. I want to tell you something. We're going to see responsibility and authority grow together this year. Whatever God gives us authority for, and in those verses, he talks about authority and power. Whatever he gives us authority for, he gives us the power to, to, to accomplish it. It'd be pretty mean to give you authority and not give you power. See, that's the way the world works. The world wants to give you authority but hold the power. God didn't do that. God said, I, everything I made, all of creation, I'm, I'm putting it in subservience to you. Now, what that means what goes on in the planet. You've got power to change it. If you don't like what's going on in the planet, then the, the sons, my sons, my creation, my image bearers need to change it. Don't expect me to come down and do something for you that I've already done. Right? To have responsibility without corresponding authority is a recipe for frustration and it's a recipe for failure. The Father does not set us up for failure. We have not been set up for failure on the planet. He designed us, done everything possible to make us to be a success. Now what we have failed to do, and thank God that ship is turning, we have failed to take the responsibility and the authority. He set us up for what is right. L look what it says here in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. I've given you some powerful verses today. Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one. And that's, that's the position that we've been taught to live from, from the position of death, from subservience, uh, having no power, having no authority. Uh, hoping that the political system will work. Political system is not going to save you. Have you figured that out yet? Political system is not going to bring, bring righteousness into the planet. We're, we're living still from this one man's offense that death reigned through the one. However, he says, much more. We can put but in there again. I'm doing a whole, I'm doing a, I'm doing, putting a teaching together on which side of the butt do you live on? Because it makes a huge difference. If you just look at this first half, it looks pretty discouraging. But when he comes in there with much more or but, those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through Christ Jesus. Could it just be possible that humankind is not reigning in life because we have not taken authority and responsibility by receiving uh, grace and the abundance of righteousness that is in Christ Jesus? 
If one man tore it up like he did and everybody's followed suit, then certainly the last man is stronger than the first man and ought to be able to right everything that was wronged. Everything that was set in a wrong direction is now can be brought back to the right direction. The, sh the shift isn't coming, you guys. The shift is here. You're part of the cosmic shift that's going on right now. When we take authority and no longer beg and plead for a greater power to come out there from the sky someplace and to come down here on earth and defeat this lesser power that's running around causing havoc. When we stop doing that, we start realizing the greater power resides in us. Doesn't your Bible say that greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. I've heard it all my life and everybody, hallelujah, amen, yes, greater is he. Yet we don't live like that. Why don't we live like that? Because we understood that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I'm telling you this year is going to be a phenomenal year. I, I've given you 10 things that I, I think are going to be strongly uh, emphasized this year. And again, the seeds of some of these has been already already planted but now I, I did this I took three weeks because I wanted you this year to recognize when things begin to transpire let me just hit those ten number one was expect to hear the father clearly as never before and I'm gonna resist the temptation to stop on any of these and teach on them again expect to hear the father as never before there's gonna be a number two there's gonna be a detachment from the world system. There's going to be increased divine connections globally. God is, God is connecting us all over the globe. There's going to be a solving of problems and mysteries of daily life. Problems that you face, you couldn't figure out, didn't know what to do. He's going to solve the mystery for you. Number five, grace is going to be poured out without limits. You think you've seen radical hyper grace so far? That, that little parable over there in Matthew chapter 20, we need to ponder that because it lays it all out. Number six, there's going to be a love and a tolerance for other people. Number seven, a, a cessation, a ceasing of all judgment. Number seven, I'm going to understand the Father is working as me. Number, number nine, clarity and vanishing doubt on our authentic identity. I'm going to be convinced that I'm on the God class of being. And we're not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to apologize for it. That's, that's who we is. You are not what you do. You are who God said you are, who you be. And number 10, the sons and daughters are going to begin to take responsibility for the planet in a way that we never have before, understanding and realizing he has not only given us given us the authority, he's given us the power to do it. I think we're in for a great year. I really do. I'm looking for tremendous spiritual growth this year. He's revealed so many things to us, planted the incorruptible seed within us. And I think these 10, these 10, like I said, they're not things you haven't heard about. You've heard about them, but to the level that I'm seeing it, I hope the level that I presented it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to resonate and it's going to dig new reservoirs within you. Rest assured, rest assured. Digital Cathedral, he's moving us along. He, he's moving us down the path. He's taking us exactly where, where we needed to go. And in conclusion, I'll just say this and I'm done. Cooperate with it. When you recognize what he's doing, when you judge somebody and all of a sudden you go, ooh, I, nope, that's not me. I'm not judging. When you have an opportunity to not pour grace out because you think they don't deserve it, pour it out. See, 
I just, I'm bringing this to the forefront because I want you to, to recognize, maybe it's just the pastor in me, I don't know. I want you to see how God's developing you because honestly, that's why I'm here to bring you to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. You're going to tire of hearing me saying that, but that's where we're going. That's what's going to happen. You're manifesting as a son. You're manifesting as a daughter. And the best is yet to come. This is going to be a great year. Recognize these things as they unwind in your life. Amen. All right. God bless you. See you Wednesday night at The Secret Place. We'll continue our study in Religion Busters. We'll see you back next Sunday morning. We'll be changing subjects and going in another direction. It's connected and hooked to this, but a little bit different. See you then. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Thank you for support. Thank you for prayers. You guys are really important to me, and I love making this journey with you. See you then. If this teaching resonates with you, and you would like to partner with us in our expanding efforts to take this message of grace and union around the world, you may make a donation at donkeithley.com. We thank you for your continued support and encouragement.